In today's brief, we'll talk about accidental explosions, illegal elections, and Russia revisiting 18th century weapons technology. I'm Linnea, and today is Monday, August 28, 2023, and we are in Lviv, Ukraine. You're listening to the Ukraine War Brief podcast, where we bring you up to speed on the war in Ukraine in about 20 minutes or less. Let's get started with the news in Ukraine from the front. The Wall Street Journal reports that Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or AFU, Valery Zaluzhny, has told U.S. officials that Ukrainian forces are on the cusp of a breakthrough in the counteroffensive. While the AFU has made some strategic adjustments over the last few weeks, U.S. military officials have been pushing for Ukraine to return to the combined arms tactics they were trained in at Allied bases. According to a U.S. official, Zaluzhny responded to their concerns, saying, quote, You don't understand the nature of this conflict. This is not counterinsurgency. This is Kursk. End quote. For some context, Zaluzhny is referring to one of the largest battles in modern recorded history, lasting nearly two months between Nazi Germany and the Soviet Red Army. For some assessment, as we've mentioned before, the concept of combined arms has as one of its central tenets the establishment of air superiority. Ukraine has been begging for F-16s for nearly a year, which, until recently, the West has steadfastly denied. Conducting an offensive against a heavily entrenched enemy that has air superiority would effectively be suicide, and, as Zaluzhny said, reveals a basic misunderstanding of the nature of the conflict by Western experts. According to the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, Russian losses over the weekend included 1,600 personnel, 21 tanks, 43 armored combat vehicles, or ACVs, 70 artillery systems, 5 multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS, and 4 air defense systems. Chief of the Ukrainian Ministry of Defense, or MOD's main intelligence directorate, Major General Kirilobodanov, said that the only resources Russia has to wage a protracted war are human ones, and Russia wouldn't have tried to purchase ammunition and weapons from North Korea, Iran, Cuba, etc., if it were not struggling with its own military-industrial complex. The Center for European Policy Analysis, or CEPA, reported that despite what Western commentators say, the Ukrainian counteroffensive is making, quote, substantial progress. Those Western commentators appear to be fixated on Ukraine's ability to reach Melitopol, which is more than 80 kilometers behind the current front line. The AFU doesn't need to advance 80 kilometers, however, to achieve a, quote, significant operational victory, end quote. Advancing 15 kilometers would likely get them close enough to target Russia's east-west ground lines of communication, called GLOCs, those are supply lines, which are critical to Russian forces' ability to fight. According to the CEPA article, quote, If Ukraine can interdict these roads and rail links, it's very hard to see how the Russian army can continue to fight. End quote. In the Eastern Theater of Operations, Russia has reportedly redeployed reserves to the tune of 100,000 troops to the Kupiansk area in the Kharkiv Oblast, with the intention of mounting an offensive toward the city, according to Ukrainian Colonel General Oleksandr Sirsky. He added that Ukrainian forces are continuing to strengthen their defense in threatened areas and move forward whenever possible. 
The United Kingdom Ministry of Defense Intelligence believes that Russia could be increasing the intensity of its efforts on the Kupiansk-Liman axis in the next few months, with the objective of advancing west to the Oskil River and creating a buffer zone around Luhansk Oblast. Ukrainian officials note that of the Russian reserves that have been redeployed in the area, roughly 45,000 are attacking towards Kupiansk and 48,000 towards Liman. The key settlement of Klishchivka near Bakhmut in Donetsk Oblast is once again contested, after being captured by Russian forces this past winter. The counteroffensive presses forward on the southern flank of Bakhmut, with advances achieved by some of Ukraine's most battle-hardened units, many of which, according to the Kyiv Independent, have been fighting in these same sectors since the beginning of the winter at the very least. In the Southern Theater of Operations, the Institute for the Study of War, or ISW, assessed that Ukrainian forces have continued to advance near Robotine in western Zaporizhia Oblast, achieving unspecified successes towards Novodanilivka, Novoprokopivka, and Malotokmachka, about 10 kilometers south and southeast of Orekhiv, respectively. Russian mill bloggers claim that many of the Russian troops fighting near Robotine have been on the front line since the start of the Ukrainian counteroffensive and have been struggling with a lack of reinforcements. The AFU appears to be within striking distance of the Russian second line of defense, which may be weaker than the first line of defense, but still a significant challenge due to anti-tank ditches, obstacles like dragon's teeth, and minefields continuing from the first defensive line. The ISW assesses that the second line of defense may be less heavily mined to allow Russian forces operating north of those positions the ability to retreat, and the prepared positions may be less heavily defended. Russian forces have started launching missiles from small ships in the Azov Sea, including Caliber and KH-59 cruise missiles toward Odessa, in an effort to find new tactics. Another civilian vessel, a bulk carrier sailing under the Liberian flag, has now left the Odessa port via the Black Sea Corridor set up to evacuate vessels docked in Ukrainian ports since the start of the full-scale invasion. UK intelligence reported that Ukrainian and Russian naval and air forces are engaged in a battle over strategically important gas and oil platforms in the Black Sea between occupied Crimea and Odessa called the Boyko Towers. According to UK Defence Intelligence, the platforms are not only valuable from a resource perspective, but Lake Zmini Island, or Snake Island, in the Western Black Sea, can also, quote, be used as forward deployment bases, helicopter landing sites, and to position long-range missile systems, end quote. On the home front, the National Anti-Corruption Bureau of Ukraine, or NABU, reported on August 24th that the first deputy minister of agrarian policy and food and a former deputy economy minister have been charged with abuse of power for allegedly embezzling 62.5 million hryvnia, roughly 1.6 million U.S. dollars, of state funds in a scheme involving the purchase of food at inflated prices by state railway operator Ukurzaliznitsia. Head of the medical service of the 82nd Separate Air Assault Brigade, Anton Shevchuk, has been reprimanded. Shevchuk requested that Medical Forces Command replace poor-quality Chinese tourniquets, asking social activist Oksana Korczynska for help amplifying his request. 
Low-quality and counterfeit tourniquets have been a frequent frustration for medical staff on the front who have repeatedly taken to social media to bring attention to the issue. Russian shelling on the morning of the 26th in Podoly near Kupiansk hit a cafe, killing at least two people. Two training aircraft collided in Zhitomyr region, killing three pilots, including well-known fighter ace and advocate for F-16s, Andriy Pilschikov, call sign Juice. Reports indicated that Russia was not believed to have been directly involved in the incident. A fluent English speaker and experienced pilot, Juice had visited Washington, D.C. to push for F-16s and reportedly wanted to bring NATO reforms to the Ukrainian Air Force. The NGO Save Ukraine has reportedly arranged the return of 11 more Ukrainian children who had been forcibly deported to Russia and the occupied territories, bringing the total number of deported children rescued by the organization to 161. Russian forces launched KH-101, KH-555, and KH-55 cruise missiles at Ukraine early in the morning of August 27th from five strategic aircraft in Russian airspace near Engels, in Russia's Saratov Oblast. According to the Ukrainian Air Force, four of the missiles were shot down. No direct hits were observed, but debris from destroyed missiles injured two people and damaged ten private homes in Kyiv Oblast. If you're enjoying the episode, please rate us and leave a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to reach out to us via email at social at borlingen.media. That's B-O-R-L-I-N-G-O-N dot media. In the temporarily occupied territories, Ukrainian forces conducted a small seaborne landing on Crimea overnight on the 24th. Andriy Yusov from the Defense Intelligence of Ukraine said, quote, The landing of personnel took place on the territory of the peninsula as part of the special operation, end quote. And media reports that automatic fire and explosions were heard near the settlement of Mayok. According to Defense Intelligence Chief Budanov, the explosions near the Kerch Bridge last week were intended for another target, saying, quote, There was another target, but four anti-aircraft missiles were launched to intercept it and it went off course. Not significantly, the Russians believe that the bridge was the target. Well, let them believe that. End quote. The GSAFU reported that Russia has been settling people from the Russian Federation in the occupied areas of Zaporizhia Oblast in order to ensure the planned illegal elections go their way. Occupation authorities have reportedly provided new arrivals with the homes of local residents who were forced to flee due to the invasion. Ukrainian forces launched over 40 drones at Crimea overnight on August 24th to 25th, according to occupation authorities, all of which the Russian armed forces claim to have shot down. That may not be entirely true, however. As local media reports dead and wounded among the 126th Coastal Defense Brigade in Perevalna, that's 240 kilometers from the front line. Russian forces are reportedly in a state of panic over Ukrainian paratroopers landing near Lake Danislav in occupied Crimea, according to intercepted radio communications. Ukrainian defense intelligence stated that Russian occupation forces are dealing with issues with psychological resilience and coordination. 
On August 25th, Ukraine's National Resistance Center reported that Russian occupation authorities are forcing residents who were previously evacuated to Berdyansk due to heavy fighting back to their homes close to the front lines. Speaking of putting people in danger, let's talk about the Russian Federation and effectively occupied Belarus. The ISW assessed that it was almost certainly a direct order from Russian president-slash-dictator Vladimir Putin to shoot down private military company or PMC Wagner leader Yevgeny Prigozhin's plane last week. And it is extremely unlikely that the Russian MOD would execute Prigozhin without a direct order to do so. The ISW's previous assessment that Putin would be unlikely to order Prigozhin killed out of fear of angering Wagner personnel appears to have been incorrect. The ISW believes that the deaths of Wagner leadership, including Dmitry Utkin and Valery Chikalov, who were also on board, will prevent the Wagner organization from resisting the efforts of the Kremlin and Russian MOD to, quote, weaken, subsume, and destroy the organization, end quote. Satellite imagery from earlier in August indicates that Wagner had already dismantled roughly a third of its camps in Belarus by the 24th. Ukrainian border guards and intelligence have observed convoys of Wagner mercenaries leaving the territory of Belarus, where they were sent following their failed mini-coup, for Russia. Putin did release a statement in response to Prigozhin's death, which has since been confirmed via DNA testing, according to the Russian MOD, saying, quote, I have known Prigozhin for a long time, since the beginning of the 90s. He was a man with a complex fate. He made some serious mistakes in his life, but he achieved the results he needed, both for himself and, when I asked him to, for a common cause, as in these last few months. He was a gifted man, a talented businessman, end quote. Self-declared president of Belarus and Putin's probably now even more reluctant bestie, Alexander Lukashenko, admitted that Russian troops invaded Ukraine from the territory of Belarus, but that the troops had been there as part of planned military exercises and they crossed the border unexpectedly, so it totally wasn't his fault. Ukrainian intelligence chief Budanov reported on the 24th that Russia has only 27 serviceable Tu-22s left in service, with two more under repair. He also reported that Russia hasn't suspended mobilization and is considering the possibility of conscripting another 450,000 personnel. Ukrainian drones reportedly struck a Kursk airfield overnight on October 26th and 27th, hitting Russian Su-30 and MiG-29 aircraft, S-300s and Panseers. Ukrainian security services reported that almost all of the 16 drones launched reached their targets. Kursk Oblast Governor Roman Stadovoit claimed that a Ukrainian drone hit a residential building in the city of Kursk on the 27th, publishing photos showing minor damage to the building. In news worldwide, Norway has allocated 1.5 billion Norwegian kroner, that's about 140 million U.S. dollars, to provide for, quote, the repair and maintenance of critical electricity infrastructure and emergency power supply in areas affected by hostilities, as well as for the purchase of gas for emergency storage, end quote. Finnish authorities have reportedly arrested Jan Petrovsky, 
a leader of the neo-Nazi Rusik paramilitary group, who is under EU and U.S. sanctions for participating in the war in Ukraine. Petrovsky is suspected of terrorism, with multiple crimes committed between June 2014 and August 2015 in Luhansk and Donetsk oblasts in the eastern part of Ukraine. The Ukrainian prosecutor's office is reportedly preparing to extradite Petrovsky. The U.S. State Department announced sanctions against individuals and entities linked to Russia's forced deportation of Ukrainian children. Included in the sanctions are the Ahmad Kadyrov Foundation, its board member and the mother of Chechen warlord Ramzan Kadyrov, Aymani Kadyrova, Russian government-owned so-called summer camp Artek, located in occupied Crimea, and its director, Konstantin Fedorenko. Let's talk military and tech. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky spoke with U.S. President Joe Biden to discuss the supply of F-16 fighter jets to Ukraine, specifically about speeding up the process for approving the transfer of the jets from other nations and pilot training, which will reportedly begin in October following an English-language course for pilots. Norway will join the Netherlands and Denmark in providing F-16s to Ukraine, The number of aircraft hasn't been specified, though two jets will be allocated immediately for pilot training. Norway will also be providing Ukraine with Iris-T surface-launched short-range or SLS anti-aircraft missiles. Interestingly, Norway doesn't actually have Iris-T SLS systems. Rather, Norwegian F-16s have the unique ability to fire Iris-T SLS missiles and that includes the Norwegian F-16s that have been pledged to Ukraine. Ukraine already has ground-based Iris-T anti-aircraft systems, so they'll be able to use the same ammunition in both surface-to-air and air-to-air capacities. The Netherlands will reportedly send all of its F-16 fighter jets to Ukraine, aside from a few that will be used for training pilots. The Dutch MOD stated that the Netherlands is now switching from F-16s to the newer F-35s and has opted to hand the old stock over to Ukraine rather than selling it. Portugal has confirmed that it is able to provide F-16 pilot training. According to the German government's website, last week Ukraine received Patriot air defense missiles, eight drone detection systems, 40 reconnaissance drones, 16 Zetros trucks, and 510,000 rounds of ammunition for firearms. Ukraine has reportedly been developing a domestic version of the Russian Lancet drone, according to Euromaidan Press. There have not been a lot of details released about the UAV, for obvious reasons. The Greek government announced that it would terminate its contract with Russia for the maintenance of TOR-M1 and OSA-AKM air defense missile systems that are currently in service with the Greek army. Media claims that the 21 self-propelled TOR-M1 systems will most likely be sent to Ukraine via third-party nations. Russia's new state-of-the-art TSVL-8 sniper rifle has been advertised by the manufacturer Labayev Arms as, quote, another technological breakthrough in Russian weapons, end quote. But according to Defense Express, the rifle has some serious flaws. The weapon reportedly doesn't extract cartridges reliably, and once a cartridge has jammed, the only way to dislodge it is with a ramrod. Like, 
the kind used to load an 18th century musket. State of the art indeed. That's the brief for today. Remember to check your sources and don't fall for propaganda. Join us on YouTube and TikTok for more Ukraine content and live news reports. And please consider supporting our work on Substack. You'll find the links in the description. We'll be back tomorrow with more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone.